Hey, well, we are at our first ever filming of a podcast, so we thought no better way to kick it off than with Kerry Newhoff himself. Wow. The father of podcasting. So, <laughs> so what I've done, I've started podcasting. That's uh, you've, awesome. You've made it relevant for the church. So, oh. hey, I, I just want to jump right in, and I want to hear a little bit about Carrie before we knew you, okay? Yeah. Before uh, the podcast, the blog, the books, and even before Conexus, you grew up in Canada. I hear you mention your parents a lot. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your parents. Well, they're great people, both still alive, very fortunate that way on both sides. My wife's parents, my parents still alive. They'll pick me up at the airport tomorrow when I get home, which is awesome. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I did read that question that you sent me ahead of time. And I think your parents really shape you. And so I come from Dutch immigrant stock. I was born in Canada, but my parents were both born in Holland. Hmm. My dad came when he was 19. My mom came as a girl with her parents when she was 11. And uh, they met in Canada. So two Dutch immigrants who met, fell in love, and then started a family together. But it's really interesting. I was listening to another podcast yesterday and you know the immigrant experience really shapes you. So I knew my mom's parents really well. They were almost like a second set of parents, my grandparents. We lived within five minutes of them, uh, of their house for my first 10 years of my life. And so they were like a second set of parents. They're the only babysitters we ever mm-hmm. really had. And you know now as an adult, you listen to the experiences and you realized, oh, you were discriminated against when you came to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather, I watched him like shovel manure when I was a kid. He didn't, he was supposed to be a farmer in Holland. And like, you even think about like, what kind of person, this is the 1950s, post-World War II, Holland. What kind of person gets on a boat, gets on a plane? My mom took the boat, her parents took the boat, my dad got on a plane. And when they left, they thought they would never see their family again. Wow. But they were going to a land of opportunity. They were going to a land of hope. And um, I think that really shaped it. My parents are immigrants and entrepreneurs. So my dad worked his way up. He picked a trade. He was a tool and mold maker. So what that is, is he might make the steel that you pour the plastic into that produces a ring for the microphone or the microphone casing or that kind of thing. And, um, and I watched them run their own business for 25 years. And, you know, we were kind of, at first, lower middle class kids, like we did okay, the one car, the house, the bungalow in the suburbs. And then, you know, they did okay in their business. And uh, so I think that really is very shaping. And then their big thing for me, my grandparents had, uh, I didn't know my dad's parents very well. I met them, but like they lived across the ocean. I met them once, but uh, before they died. But uh, they, my, my maternal grandparents, I think had grade three and four for education. Hmm. My parents went to grade 11, grade 12. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, get a university education, get a university. It wasn't an option. I just had right. to go to university. And so all that shapes you. And I'm really grateful for that shaping. So did they, were they Christian? Was it just kind of part of the, the norm back then? Did you grow up in the church? Yeah, they were nominal Christians for okay. the first decade of my life. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Not there to judge, and they wouldn't judge. But we went to church. We always went to church. We went to Dutch church because that's what the Dutch people did. Right. And near Windsor, Ontario, it was all Dutch immigrants. Okay. So went to Dutch church. It was in English. But you know, I was a little kid, and then when I was ten, my dad got a transfer. Started with a new company about five hours away to the north. So we moved up on the Great Lakes to um, Lake Huron, Georgian Bay, to a little town called Midland. And uh, he started as a plant supervisor there before he started his own business. And there was no Dutch church, so we became Presbyterian. 
and the president, which was closest, right? Reform. You have to change the nomination. We had to change the nomination, <laughs> so we became Presbyterian. And there was an evangelical pastor there named Bob Little, and like he could preach, and the church grew to two or three hundred, which in a small town was the mega church. Mm-hmm. And my parents, when I was ten, experienced an evangelical conversion, and I still remember the day they poured all the alcohol down the drain in the downstairs uh, kitchen, like in the yeah. basement. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a radical conversion for them. And mm-hmm. so, again, I think I was the beneficiary of that. It had some weirdness attached to it at times, you know how church is. Yeah. But that really shaped me. And as a young teenager, I really wanted to know the word of God, um, mm-hmm. had a strong faith. And so I think, I think that was overall a really good experience. So before you started blogging and podcasting and all that, you did a lot of work with Orange, working yeah. with families. Uh, you wrote the book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity with Reggie, which is just a fantastic book. Um, was that your first book? That was our first book, yeah. I'd always wanted to write a book in my 30s. Oh. I wrote that oh, when I was 40, 45, thereabouts. Oh, and uh, Reggie kind of conscripted me, and he said, we're going to write a book together. And if you know Reggie, you know, it's like, sure, we will one day. But yeah, we actually worked on the concepts for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I banged out the first draft of that between Christmas and New Year's, fastest I ever wrote a book. Wow. Now, it got a lot of revisions over time and his yeah. input, but like it was, it was a really, you know, he taught me wordsmithing. Mm. I still remember, we, I flew down to Florida. We spent two days in this condo uh, mm. debating one four-word word phrase, fight for the heart, yep. two days on four words. What was it and, supposed to be? Oh, gosh, I'd have to look at my notes. It was going to be <laughs> fight for your family, um, guard your heart, I don't know, stuff like okay. that. But it really taught me the value of wordsmithing because in the back of my head, I'm like, well, you paid for the flight, so yeah. like, this is your dime, right. go ahead. I would have just picked one and moved on, right. but I realized how wise that was. And here we yeah. are a decade later, and that's actually my favorite value, fight for the heart. Right. And, you know, like that, that's impacted. I think that book sold over 100,000 copies I was going to say, that's a... Oh, it's sold a massively. Unlikely way to start off in writing. Yeah, you know, no kidding. Your first book go that big. Yeah, my that others perhaps huge. have not done that well, but, you know, wow. that, one, that one was insane. Man, I think my first one, I sold five copies and four I gave away. So, you know, it's just, it wasn't <laughs> there much. There you go. So yeah. I want to know, what, what did you learn from your parents that translated into that book? Oh, uh, I've never thought of that. It's a great question. What did I learn that translated into that book? Um, I would say probably when it comes to the heart. Mm. Oh, quantity, quality time. I would say for sure. When I was writing that section, uh, we always just spent a lot of time together as a family. Mm-hmm. And I love Sunday afternoons. Sunday, we, we, we had enough Calvinist heritage that you weren't allowed to do anything on a Sunday afternoon, which is no, a little bit legal. We had no choice. We had no choice. You're predestined. We were predestined, exactly. <laughs> I mean, my dad tells stories about like they weren't allowed to like watch TV, listen to the radio. Mm. Uh, they had to sit there with the windows closed, basically contemplating God. It was pretty miserable. Wow. And so we had a better version of that. We could play <laughs> golf at least, but we couldn't go shopping. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. Okay. But it was really, really quality family time. And just my parents, even though they were busy entrepreneurs, always seemed to be there. 
Mm-hmm. And then I found that to be more of a struggle for me when I was in my 30s, which is why I corrected course so radically mm-hmm. around the time that we were writing the book and before that, after I burned out, uh, where I'm like, no, I need to free up a, a quantity of quality time. Wow. And I don't know, we always you know, have a lot of nostalgia for our early years. Right. But it just seemed like, um, yeah, there, there seemed to be an abundance of time. And so as I get older, I'm trying to reclaim that. And I'm even trying to reclaim that with my kids. Mm-hmm. So my dad, to this day, loves to do a family vacation. We joke, it's a family joke, because he'll be 80 this year. He's like, we're going to do one more family vacation. <laughs> the last one, so the last one was 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, we've done four final vacations now. It's like the who. Uh-huh. I went to their final tour when I was in high school. I can go again this summer if I want. <laughs> it's a final tour. Um, but, you know, we're trying to craft that out with our kids now at this yeah. age as well. We did a Christmas vacation nice. this year with our kids. They convinced me to go to my first all-inclusive because oh, I, yeah. I stink at rest. Yeah. I'm terrible at it. Mm-hmm. And so they said, Dad, you're going to put your phone away. You're going to not do any work for a week. And you're going to relax. And mm. I loved it. Okay, it I've heard great. you say this before, that your greatest fear is being considered lazy. Correct. So that's probably why you hate rest. Correct. So It's so dysfunctional. What, <laughs> do you, is it this fear of missing out? Is it this I'm wasting time? This isn't productive. Why do you wrestle That's with it so much? That's a great question. You know, why do beavers um, build dams? Mm-hmm. Because they can't not. <laughs> That's a bit, I'm not a botanist or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever field studies animals, but my understanding, my minimal understanding of beavers is that it's not about the water system. Mm-hmm. It's they build dams because that's what they created to do. So there's a certain sense on the healthy side where... Uh, I think this is what I was created to do, and I love it. It's that chariots of fire line. You know, yeah. when I when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Right. Uh, when I work, I feel God's pleasure. However, there's always dysfunction attached to that. Mm-hmm. So when I think about fear missing out, I don't know. Like, you know, if if this was like all I could accomplish, I'd think, okay, well, I made a tiny little dent somewhere, which is good. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there's a lot more that God has given me. On the unhealthy, I've gotten a lot better with silence. Like I had trouble sitting still at all in my 30s. Mm-hmm. So it's Blaise Pascal, man's chief problem is, is, is his inability to sit quietly alone in his room. Mm-hmm. I've learned to do that. And actually I savor that. But there's, there's this kind of like, I just can't not um, think right. And so I really, my oldest son and I, We've had conversations. He's like, Dad, you need to take like a month off. And he's really good. So he's a computer software engineer Hmm. who's like frighteningly gifted and is really good at what he does. But he has no trouble just shutting down. And he's not very active on social, not very active on his phone. And I'm like, I'm trying to learn from him. And I might do that at some point, just experiment with that. But yeah, underneath that, there's that, like, you are what you do. I'm sure that's part of it still. Right. There's, you know, I think I'm away from that in my head. I don't know how your emotions behave, but this idea that I'm earning God's favor, well, I know that's not true. I know right. that's patently false. Right. But is there a part of that under that? Sure, there could be. On the other hand, it's, you know, I look at the, the, the person I spend the most time with is my wife. Mm-hmm. And so when that becomes an impediment to our relationship, that's where it's an issue. Yeah. And so one of my disciplines for 2020 is Sabbath. And I've taken three Sabbaths so far. And after that all-inclusive vacation in December, we're mm-hmm. recording this at the end of January. And I'm, 
I'm like really enjoying it. And so mm-hmm. I think that is a pool I want to swim in more. Mm-hmm. And not just so it makes me more productive because mm-hmm. that is my Achilles heel. It's like, oh, I'll do it if it makes me more productive. I, so. I remember you saying, I think it was on one of your podcasts about if you don't do the rest, then you're not going to be good at the work and the Correct. rest prepares you for the work. So I remember over the past few months, I would you know forcibly take these moments of rest with the excitement of, I'll be better at work. I know. That's been my carrot <laughs> so on the stick. Back. That's my carrot on the stick, right? So I, I'm totally like in that this will make me more productive. Right. But I think I think there is a rest. Mm-hmm. And I think like, so I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife and I were out on my second Sabbath, first Sabbath, I forget which, of the new year, which I normally, and normally when I say I don't take a day off, I'm not talking about I work 12 hours on a Saturday. I mean, I opened up my laptop, did a bit of writing, really enjoyed it, worked for 90 minutes, two hours, shut it. And that was my day off. But now I'm just, there's no opening the laptop. There's right. none of that. I pray, I read the Bible. And then it's like, well, what else am I going to do? I don't know. So uh, we went snowshoeing. And she started to ask me, because we're in the company together. So Canadian story, right? You don't know many California snowshoe stories. But anyway. Not many. We go snowshoeing. And she goes, what are you most excited about in the company for the year? And I'm like, do you mind if we don't talk about it? And that is so not me. <laughs> And so what did I do? It was bitterly cold that day. And I just like looked at tree leaves and bark and snow and like just tried to like take in the moment, which Mm. I'm horrible at, but I'm learning in that area. So we'll see what becomes of that. It's an experiment. It is a muscle that you get better at over a period of time. It gets stronger, don't you think? So you've talked about this a lot, but for our listeners that are new to your story, I think we're all a little bit interested in your burnout, okay? Yeah. You, you mentioned that quite a bit, but when did you know, I've got a problem? I'm not just tired, I'm burned out. <laughs> what was the lead indicator? Oh, that's a fun question, Rusty. I knew when it was too late mm-hmm. because I, I was just going at 100 miles an hour and uh, I was not gonna mm. be like all those other people who burned out and, you know, the, the way burnout hit me, it hits people differently, but the way it hit me is I think my body and mind just went on a strike one day and said, we told you, but now we're done. Hmm. And I lost all my passion and my joy. And it was that abject loss of control mm-hmm. that was terrifying. To be honest with you, it was terrifying. I thought, oh my goodness. Because I'm a bit of a control freak, like a lot of leaders, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I love this idea of cause and effect, or I can slow down or I can speed up. And I was all gone in burnout. And that summer of 06, when it happened to me, uh, and I was seeing a counselor and the whole deal, but it was like, well, this may be the end. This may mm-hmm. be how it ends. And I killed myself, good for me. Not mm-hmm. physically, but metaphorically. And um, I, I ruined it, you know? It's almost like I, I haven't gone bankrupt, but I could imagine there's a day when the bank would just say to you, well, it's over and you're filing for bankruptcy. And you're like, oh, I, I guess it's done. And so I was kind of bankrupt of energy and bankrupt okay. of passion and bankrupt of all those things. And it was beyond my control to get back. And that was the most terrifying thing. So unfortunately, it came for me. People had told me for years you were going to burn out. I was going to burn out. But it came for me in that realization, which is why I'm so sensitive now to how my body is doing. Like even, you know, getting here to be with you today, it was like we picked those flights really carefully and make sure I don't get in too, too late and make sure I had not too ambitious a morning mm-hmm. because we're going to go for five or six hours. And I had been speaking in Florida 
You know, I did seven talks in two days, which is a bit of a meat grinder. Mm -hmm. And But I'm just paying attention to that. I'm really watching the signs, and I think there is something spiritual in that. So mm -hmm. I want to kind of wake up with a full tank. Or if it's, if it's empty, I want it to be empty for a day or an afternoon, right. not for a season. Because right. that's, you know, you, you eventually, you ultimately just lose control. Right. So you, you write about this in your book, Didn't See It Coming. Um, there's seven things in there, right? Yeah. That's the perfect number of all blogs and It is books, the holy right? number. It it's is. a holy book, yeah. Um, what didn't make the cut? Oh, that's interesting. Ineffectiveness was what comes to mind. Okay. I didn't have a long list. It wasn't like 15. Okay. But I was going to do a, a chapter on irrelevance and one on ineffectiveness. And uh, hmm. I thought they're kind of the same thing. So it was, and then, and then the book shifted because it was going to be heart skills and practical skills. And the only practical one was irrelevance. And because the rest was like pride and character and um, what, what got included in that because I cut effectiveness was emptiness, mm. which is actually my favorite thing I wrote about, but nobody seems to agree. So I don't, <laughs> I don't hear a lot about that. I hear about burnout all the time and cynicism all the time and yeah. occasionally on pride. But uh, yeah, so that, got, that didn't make the cut. Cynicism was so good. Mm. You and I have talked about that. We have. I, that's, my, that's my default. That's my defense. I just get cynical. Um, mm -hmm. You talk in there about celebrating as kind of the way to get over that. Yeah. Uh, curiosity. Yeah. How have you seen that play out in your own life? Oh, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and it was a guy named Sam Zell who's uh, really uh, become a multi-billionaire. He's just on the Tim Ferriss show who I listen mm. to pretty regularly. And he was just saying curiosity is the sign of an effective leader. Mm. And I, 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 like I look at it, I think as you age, your horizons either get wider or they get narrower. Mm -hmm. And as a guy in my 50s, they're either going to get really narrow mm -hmm. where I'll only stay at this hotel and I'll only talk to these people and I'll only drink this tea or coffee and I'll only eat this food and I'll only think this way. Or they get much broader and you become more curious and more cross-disciplinary mm -hmm. where you're learning about things you never learned about. And I don't know about neuroplasticity and whether the brain still grows, but like I want to be open enough to new perspectives, not, not to the point where, you know, all of a sudden I switch religions or something. You know, <laughs> I want to study what other people believe and why they believe it. But I, I, think, I think you just either, you, you get narrow very fast. Mm -hmm. as, it's like your arteries, right? They kind of right. narrow unless you exercise them. And I think the same is true. And curiosity is just a good hack. Right. Like that's like that ride, that walk when we were snowshoeing, I'm like, I have, this, I have this mild interest in all these things that are just curious to me. Like um, trees, I got pretty good in my 20s mm. at being able to identify tree bark, tree rings, and tree like wood grain hmm. and leaves. And like, well, that would be fun. When I was a kid, when I was like eight, nine years old, my parents gave me a birder book. I think I still have it somewhere in a box. And it was just on bird calls and identifying mm. birds. Like that would be really interesting to pursue. And what if we put a bird feeder in our backyard and we just got to know all these birds and what their mm. calls are? I sit there in the summertime, five o'clock in the morning, you know, light is just starting to dawn in the mm. Northern Hemisphere. And I'll listen to these birds, just like incredible songs in the spring. And like, well, well wouldn't that be fun to identify all those? So right. I hope, like you think about the older people, like fast forward 30 years, you're 80. Yep. And those are all the fun people. Right. 
those are all the people that you're like, oh, we could hang out all day. Right. Whereas the, the crotchety people sitting there with their arms folded, yeah. talking about what's wrong with the world, like I could so easily become that. And my wife reminds me, she's like, you could be that person, so be careful. There's something comfortable about that. Yeah, yeah. Sitting around complaining about the weather and the temperature in the room. And yeah, and then you don't even go outside anymore. Exactly. It could be windy today. <laughs> it yeah. just might be. It just might be windy. Stay inside. So you've interviewed, my goodness, hundreds of leaders yeah. on your podcast. Let me give you some names and just give me one or two words of what you take away. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Eugene Peterson. Oh, um, his phrase, along obedience in the same direction. Mm. Life well lived. My goodness, that was 30 minutes mm -hmm. of just holy ground. It was. I feel like we've learned so much more about him since his passing. Mm. And, it, you know, when your kids speak well of you, <laughs> boy, that's a, that's a huge testament. Uh, what was it his son said? My dad only had one sermon. You heard this? No. It was God loves you, um, God is for you, God is coming for you, and he's relentless. Oh, Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. He said he only had one sermon. He'd say it over and over again. He'd whisper it in my ear at night. Oh, it gives me chills to think about. Okay, another one. Uh, you just interviewed this guy recently. It's probably my favorite of the last year, Gordon McDonald. Oh, wise wise and finishing well mm -hmm. in an era where so many people aren't mm -hmm. uh, and very comfortable with mm -hmm. his age and stage and his mortality. We talked a lot about death mm -hmm. and about what, what are the fears of an older person. He has, this, he has these fascinating theories about what everybody goes through mm. in their ages. It's in the, it's in the episode. And uh, I, I kept hearing from young leaders who were like 32, and he has very specific cutoffs. Like when you're, I forget the exact age, but when you're 68, this will happen. When you're 32, this will happen. Right. I'm like, wow, that's pretty specific. Then I hear from 32-year-olds going, no, he's bang on. Right. And I think back to my life, he's bang on. Yeah. And like just the, the amazing wisdom, but th there comes with it a deep humility mm -hmm. and a real comfort. It reminded me a little bit of what John Orberg says about Don Dallas Willard, mm -hmm. that you know, the life became so immersed. The, the, the veil between heaven and earth became thin. Mm. And there are moments where I think Gordon is somewhere, he's still very much alive, but between this world and the next. Mm -hmm. And Dallas Willard reportedly said that after he died, he, he wasn't 100% sure that he would know he was actually dead mm -hmm. because he had realized um, some of the kingdom of God in his life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us miss that. And mm -hmm. I, I sense that in Gordon. Um, John Orberg. Oh, John. Yeah. Uh, wisdom, real comfort in his own skin, mm -hmm. and a beautiful curiosity. Mm -hmm. Bob and Maria Goff. <laughs> Fun and good for each other. Uh -huh. They are so different. We uh -huh. were fortunate to be invited to Bob's birthday party uh -huh. uh, about a year ago in San Diego. And so Maria put it together. She emailed us or, or actually mailed us invitations months in advance. We booked the flights and she's just so different mm -hmm. than Bob is. Bob is so fun and she shocked him. He walked into that room with 200 of his closest friends and you know how they say you're speechless? Mm -hmm. For like 15 minutes, Bob couldn't talk. <laughs> he just couldn't talk, something. which is saying something, right? <laughs> and it was... Is this beautiful marriage uh -huh. of people who are so different. And I love that he calls her Sweet Maria. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all got, that night, we all got to sign 
the bottom of the table. So their lodge up in Canada burned down. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I'd never been to the lodge, but they had a great big table at it. And so they had the new table built and constructed. And we all got to climb underneath the table and with a Sharpie sign our names to it. Oh, and that's, that's going cool. up to the lodge in Canada. Wow. Which will be really cool. But that's his life, right? Community mm-hmm. about others, about making a difference. And uh, yeah, he spends, he just spends the energy he has and that's, that's he's a tour de force. Mm. Okay, one more. Max Lucado. One of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. I said that to Andy Stanley. I just interviewed uh, Max and I bumped into Andy in a green room. And I said, man, Max, Max had some nice things to say about you. And he just said, Max is one of the nicest people in the world. <laughs> and he really is. And he's so, he's so gentle. And I've interviewed him a couple of times. We've never mm-hmm. met in, in person, um, but we'll often spend extra time before and after the interview just catching up. Mm-hmm. And I love the way, if you listen to the way he speaks, he doesn't call it writing. He calls it writing. And so sometimes when I'm trying to write and I'm struggling, I'll just think, oh, I need to do some writing. Hmm. I learned that from Max. And uh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, look at how prolific he is. How many how many books? He's written like 84 books or something. Right. Like I don't think I've read 84 books. Right. <laughs> but um, but he has this real piece about him. And again, I sense that he's someone who's who's aging really well. He's stepping back from mm. senior leadership of his church and mm-hmm. moving into a phase where he's going to be teaching and writing a lot more. And you you can sense when someone's at peace with themselves and at peace with what's next. And mm-hmm. I, I think all of those people you mentioned mm-hmm. are very much that way. Uh, you know, John Ortberg, we were together a few months ago and I asked him, what do you see in your next 20 years? Thinking he was gonna be talking about research or writing or the books. And he says, I just wanna focus on who I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. And again, another couple, we had dinner with John and Nancy when we were with them, you know, radically different people, radically different people who have made a marriage work over decades, mm-hmm. and uh, that's it's just it's just beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. I remember we had John in one time, and similar conversation. We were talking about the next or whatever's in his life, you know, and and he mentioned something he was he was working on, and just kind of off the cuff, he said, "That's okay, though. I like growing." <laughs> I thought that is such a unique perspective, where the most of us would just kind of painfully go into it of mm. character development, he embraces it. And John, you know, he, he's, he's told that story so many times and it shows up in so many places, but where Dallas, he called Dallas for advice in the 90s when he was at Willow. And he said, mm. John, what am I, or, or Dallas, what am I supposed to do? And Dallas, there was a long pause. And he said, quite now, famously, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Mm-hmm. And he paused and he goes, what else? And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate <laughs> hurry from your life. There is nothing else. Yeah. And when you're with John, there's no sense of hurry. Mm-mm. I'm always like, okay, I'm ready. Uh, what's next? Where am I? And I, you know, I was teaching a staff or whatever. And I'm like, okay, what's next? And John's just like, he's just not rushed. And right. I'm like, oh, I need more of that. Right. Look forward to those days. <laughs> okay, uh, three last questions. Three favorite podcasts you never miss, besides, of course, the Rusty, Rusty George, George podcast. podcast. Yes. Uh, Tim Ferriss show, never miss. What do you like about that one? It's oh, long. It's just so different. It's, it's like it's, two and a half hours long. Yeah, it? it's, it's, it's really long. Um, different stream. Okay. Not a Christian show. I think it's really important 
for Christians to understand the world in which we're called to minister. Right. Um, plus, Tim is a human guinea pig. He deconstructs success, so it's my love language. Mm. Introduces me to a lot of people I've never heard of but need to know, mm. and just different modes of thinking. I think serially listening to that podcast for years now has helped me understand the post-Christian, post-modern mind um, as well or better than anything. Uh, Craig Rochelle's podcast, Never yeah. Miss. And the other one that's almost a never miss is actually Donald Miller. I just really love marketing. I really, <laughs> really love marketing. And uh, he does a great job bringing business leaders. So I'm very interested in entrepreneur tracks. And, you know, there's others I listen to. Andy, I never miss one. Andy Stanley. Right. Uh, I, could, I could scroll through. Tim Keller, anytime they upload mm-hmm. a free message. You know, he's one of the few recreational sermons I'll listen to. Right. I just just love Keller's mind mm-hmm. and his heart and his ability, you know, as somebody who should not have made a difference in New York City, in Manhattan, right. he made a giant impact. Right. And like, if you were like, okay, what, if you're up in heaven going, what person should we put in Manhattan right. to help transform or put a dent in the city? You know, it's like, well, how about Keller? Yeah will never work like he's academic and <laughs> right you know and it was genius brilliant right. brilliant brilliant man and i love the way he thinks and i love the way he was he was everything because i come from a presbyterian background right he is he embodies everything i had ever hoped presbyterian would be mm-hmm. in the 21st century and so i just love his stuff that's great okay three favorite books you read over the past year over the past year, uh, the Wright brothers, David McCullough, great. He's just he just has a way. I don't know. You're three paragraphs in. You think, wow, I'm just home. Uh, other books I've read over the last year, the pastor Eugene Peterson, really enjoyed reading that. And uh, another book. What's a leadership book I've I've read that I would say I absolutely loved. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. One I reread regularly is Essentialism, Greg McEwen. Oh, yeah. So I'll put that on the list. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Okay, last one. That's your favorite thing to talk about. Three favorite things to cook on your big green egg. Ah, yeah. Ribeye, ribeye, ribeye. That's one. Uh, really love doing ribeyes. That's probably my favorite. I've gotten in the last year to beef tenderloin. You get a oh, nice one okay. from Costco. Costco actually is really good tenderloin. Uh-huh. About 40 minutes on the grill. It just comes out perfect. And then uh, in my moments where I do take 24 to 30 hours to cook something, brisket. Yeah. Love brisket. If you can, if you can master it and do it that long. Mm. That's what people say. They say that's the ultimate test. Yeah. You know, my first brisket, I love the way it turned out. I, I don't want to say I've never blown a brisket, but it hasn't been that hard. You know what kills me? Ribs. Yeah. Dude, I, I just cannot get them that combination between like too tough that they don't fall off the bone or so soft that yep. basically you're left with mush. Right. So uh, maybe this summer I have to try to master um, ribs. What do you do to the ribeye? Ribeye is so simple. Salt and pepper. Okay. And depending on how thick they are, it's hard to get um, thick ribeyes these days the way they're butchering things. But if they're like half to three quarters of an inch, I basically, sometimes I'll reverse sear them where I'll just put them on a less hot part of the grill, kind of bring the temperature up to maybe 100 Fahrenheit, then pull them off. Then just open up all the vents on the egg mm-hmm. and uh, let it, let the fire just go to 600 degrees. Throw them on and basically sear them and pull them off. Wow. Enjoy. It's pretty simple. That's good. Bulletproof. And just salt and pepper. Uh, they call it Dalmatian seasoning, black and white. <laughs> About two-thirds pepper, one-third salt. That's all yes. I put on them. 
Mm-hmm. Have you read the book by the guy from Franklin, Texas? I got it. I yeah. got multiple copies. Yeah. Yes, that's fantastic. It is. And that's his his secret rub as well. It's I got to get one. more into it. And yeah. so I've got like uh, the Big Green Egg cookbook and mm-hmm. uh, the Franklin Barbecue cookbook and a bunch of others. But yeah. like, you know, maybe on my Sabbaths. Yes. That'll be my reading. Well, you should I just fly down to Franklin. Yeah. You got to get there by like 10 a.m. Yeah. You got to line up. Mm-hmm. When it's done, it's done. He's Austin, right? Texas? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to Austin a bunch, but I haven't, haven't actually been to his, uh, his place. So next, time. next time you're at South by Southwest. I'll be at South by Southwest in a month, right. so maybe I should go. Well, Gary, thank you. It's just been a, a, a treat, and your words to our staff were awesome. I know what you're going to share to our people this weekend is going to be amazing, and just appreciate you and your friendship and encouragement over the years. I'm really grateful for you, and it's a thrill. We always meet on the road, so just a great great to be here at home with you and thank you for your leadership and thanks for the incredible job you're doing with this team and in this they make it easy (laughs) thank you you.